Hello, everyone. My name is Rick, Rick van Bruggen from Neo4j, and it is with great pleasure that I'm here again uh, together with my partner in crime, Stefan. Hi, Stefan. Hello, Rick. Nice to see you again. Uh, exactly. Super yeah. nice, super nice. Great. And we are going to do a, a, a sequel to the little project that we started uh, uh, you know, a while ago uh, to try and get a better uh, understanding of graph value. Right. Uh, we've been working on this for a while. We've been writing about it. We've been blogging about it. We've been tweeting about it. And uh, now we are recording about it. And um, there's several steps in this process, uh, right? And we're going to be going on this journey for a little bit longer in the next couple of weeks as well. But the first step that we want to talk about today is, um, I've kind of called it the map to graph value. You know, how do we Ooh. get there? Uh, how do we get to a valuable use case for graphs? Right, graph databases, graph analytics, you know, how do we find that graph use case, right? Uh, and that's that's a key problem, right? We we have different ways to do that. We have different techniques to do that. And I think today we would like to talk a little bit about what we've seen, you know, the, the experience that we have had and how we can find those um, excellent graph use cases that have the most value for people that want to engage on this. So let's start with, you know, the top, right? Let's start with uh, uh, the the most obvious place, you know. where At the end get... of the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's get it started over there. Um, you know, there's different things that we can cover, obviously, but I guess the, the, the question is, uh, to be simple, simple here, you know, who's got the graphiest idea? You know, <laughs> yeah. where do we find that graphy, graphy idea? Uh, I, I think uh, if we break down uh, the graphy idea and a graphy idea that has value to your business, because that's at the end what we're talking about, right? So, of course, there will be one that knows graphs, a graph specialist, right? Of course, there will be one that most likely know your domain. However, I think the interested part here is in the combination of things. Uh, uh, so I usually uh, take inspiration from this old uh, protein folding game, Fold It, uh, oh, yeah. where they put, you know, scientists and uh, an online game together to solve uh, uh, an unsolvable problem. It took the scientific community about 10 years to solve it. They sold 35%. They made a game out of it that then basically then over 10 days to solve 85% and over the weekend it was already done. But if you take that formula and break it down in components, that's what I usually do to make sense yeah. of the world. Uh, what we have is that we have deep knowledge, right? In this case about protein folding. Okay. Right? And then we have the game, which is a process to facilitate new perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so we have basically deep knowledge, new perspective, and a process to facilitate that. And I think mm -hmm. that is also a very good foundation to start to talk about creativity and value, right? Because mm -hmm. there's going to obviously be graph experts. They're going to exactly know how to use graphs. Do they know your use case? Yep. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, right? Mm -hmm. You are an expert on your problem and your domain, necessarily not on graphs. However, what we have now is a very interesting piece here. We have too deep knowledge and two new perspectives. 
If we then only have a process to facilitate this, we have a success recipe, a success story to be written, right? So one thing here is to kind of allow that and allow for curiosity and, and trust trust the graph experts in that sense and have a process so you can actually try ideas. And I think that's one of the things that I fell in love with, with Neo4j, uh, just trying it out because yep. that's the only way to figure it out. How flexible, how, how easy and understandable it was to just actually just do kind of have this agile prototyping way and just go with the flow. So um, that's kind of my uh, idea of this. Can I, uh, can I maybe drill down in, into it a little bit? I mean, we have a little yeah, bit of yeah. time here. So, of course. Uh, so the first part that I heard there was, you know, um, you talk to a domain expert. Right, so uh, it, let's say the protein fo- protein folding uh, example. That means you're going to get some kind of a you know high level uh, biology and protein expert in the room, and you're going to ask him, you know, what are you struggling with? What are the things that you're currently not able to solve in your data world, and how could potentially you know connected data graphs help you with that? Is that is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, a little bit like that, right? So, so try to kind of define what are the challenges, define what they cannot do. And I think on one hand, the interesting part here is uh, something I, I talk a lot about, these ideas of mental models. Sometimes yeah. we are so used to working with things in tables that everything structured in our head has become almost tables, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a ledger system of, I don't know, it's just like insane. So sometimes it's actually also a limitation for for the specialists because they have worked with those limitations their entire life. So, so of course, you wouldn't go down a path which you tried a gazillion times. However, you haven't tried it with graphs. And and this is, again, the new perspective and why I really like that curiousness and working together and, and kind of... One of the tricky parts that I do see a lot is like looking upon people, a lot of us ask like, do you have any use case in my domain? And I think one of the skills, uh, which is good because use cases are awesome to get inspiration from, right? But very often uh, we look for the exact use case that somebody else did so yep. we can solve our problem. But of course, then that problem is already solved and the competition is already far away. So it has very little value. That's the kind of paradox here, right? Mm. So so one skill to practice is to kind of break it down into formulas, break it down into pieces, because what is very, very clear is that a graph, as we say, are everywhere. So the use case uh, looks totally different on the outside, the front end. But from a structural point of view, they're very often very likely. As soon as you get that kind of graph thinking going in your organization, in your team, becoming curious, uh, then it's just to start do it. But uh, that's the good part and also the sometimes bad part with Neo. We have so much great content. Uh, I think I haven't even watched uh, 1% of it, to be fair. And and here we are creating new content, trying to solve this out. But at least... Uh, we're trying to give uh, like a structure for looking at content. So, the, the, fun, the funniest thing for me is that you know when, when you when you actually get a, tiny, a domain expert in the room, and you ask them to explain you know what are some of the data problems that you, that you're facing, before you know it, they grab a whiteboard and they start drawing graphs. Right? It's yeah, like, yeah. It's 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 happened to me so many times, and I feel like it's it's an obvious illustration of the fact that. 
you know, if you want to find that graphiest use case, just ask the expert, the domain expert, you know, because yeah. they will they will usually know. Especially like you said earlier, and this was kind of like the second point, if you bring someone who has worked with graphs before into the yeah. same room, right? So yeah. the the graph experience, you know, having done this before, um, is actually extremely useful. And I mean, I think it's also one of the things there where Neo4j as a as an organization has a lot of value to add because you know, I know that I've been living with graphs for the past nine plus years and I think I've seen a couple. <laughs> you know what I mean? What? Uh, Have you seen a couple? Uh, yeah. You're most famous for the beer graph, but let's not go into that. I, I have to say it in ep every episode. It's just that's just how it is. The beer graph is the reason why I'm here. Uh, so, so, so that's uh, your fault. But so nevertheless, what, what about the, um, the process aspect that you mentioned? You know, so you, you you basically said earlier. You know, if you bring those two people together and you put them through some kind of a pr uh, process that brings these two worlds together. You know, that's where kind of like the magic happens. Uh, you know, is that, is that a fair way of putting it? It's a, it's a fair way. And also it's a fair kind of place when a lot of people actually F up a lot. Uh, every Everybody has been to a horrible brainstorming, right? Everybody has like traumatized memories from school and group work. Yeah. You know, you have to do all the work because uh, nobody else gets it, right? So basically what... What very often happens is that we don't use the collective knowledge. We don't have a process for it, right? We just think that brainstorming comes to us naturally. It doesn't because it involves a lot of like fears with the leader of the room and uh, some would be more extrovert, introvert and, and so on. So I think, again, taking help from somebody that actually knows how to kind of facilitate behavior is, is of course needed. It, and it, sometimes feels like no but uh, we know the technology we know the domain but that doesn't mean you have the process to talk about it that's why i love the folding example because the process itself in that yeah. case the game <clears throat> solved it none yeah. of the two components could solve it together so i think how do we bring out the best of this and, and use kind of a structured way to do it right it, and isn't that kind of what you're doing in the, in the innovation labs and stuff like that you know that you're you're doing a, with the yeah the innovation labs this is exactly what uh, we're trying to do. Uh, basically also uh, trying to take like the knowledge and kind of design that into a process. So taking basically 10 years of enterprise learnings and processify it. Because if we have a process that's repeatable, right? Yeah. Uh, the easier it is to repeat it, the better it is for the client if they learn it. Because then they can go find their own use case. They can facilitate themselves, uh, which is... Uh, a very good point there, uh, because no. very often, yeah. Go ahead, quick. No, well, I mean, I think you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great way of doing it, but it, there's also a couple of pitfalls to it, I think, and 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 maybe the one that I've seen a couple of times, and maybe I'll just ask your opinion for it, uh, is the fact that you know, graphs are everywhere. You know, everything is connected more and more so, um, and the temptation is always that we take on too much. You know, where. <laughs> We're, we're going to put everything into the graph, right? And 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 and, and it becomes like this uh, humongous, um, you know, hairball of information uh, that you know doesn't necessarily uh, add as much value as you would hope it would. So, uh, you know, I I, I I kind of wanted to ask your perspective on you know how do you untangle that and how do you how do you get there? 
No, but uh, it's uh, it's a fair question. Very often, it's like you know, you want to connect everything. It's it's a classical. Uh, we see it in the customer three sixty is one of those examples. Like, but what the hell is the question you're solving? Right? There will be a scenario. So the way I do this is I, I use this idea of convergent divergent thinking. It's coming from any design thinking process. You know, uh, basically it's about opening up, getting a lot of ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And then basically narrow it down by prioritizing based upon the business value, the user need, and basically the technology, right? This is feasible to actually do this. And then you will have a bucket list of things, right? And, and be very clear of those. And this gives we uh, also time to talk about one of my favorite formulas, right? Uh, it's called 621. It's actually scientifically uh, proven, uh, which is means it's not proven at all. Uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry for that bad joke. Yeah. Uh, but when you look upon ideas, right? If, if we have 10 ideas, one of these ideas are really, really good. Mm. Six of these ideas are pure crap. Mm. And three are kind of lukewarm, meaning that your competition already is doing it. You're not going to get a promotion and nobody would actually care. It's mm. good to do it. It's, it's decent. It's bread and butter, right? Yeah. So so that's the way of thinking of ideas. So very often we we always go, if I only had one idea... But that's not the case, right? You need to come up with a couple of ideas and then start validating if it's actually true, because very often they're not. And it's an kind of agile process to kind of circle around that. And very often when doing these things, uh, there is this uh, kind of uh, great matrix to use uh, about innovation. So it's called 70, 20, 10. It's very similar, but basically uh, 70% would be the core business, right? This is not where you do innovation. So you have the core business. That's 100% of what you do. If you can make that more efficient using graphs, for example, and do it in 70% of the time, that's mean you have 30% of money and time left, right? That you can spend doing actually structured experiments. So the way I usually do is I take 10% of those and just do stupid ideas because I don't know which one is going to work, but I need to test it. And that then becomes... The 20, the 20 then becomes the the new 70 along the road, right? So a structured way of looking on ideation instead of, you know, Rick is super cool. So he has been an EO for a long time. So his idea must be better. Obviously, that's true uh, or not. Uh, we all know the right, real answer. I don't want to make Rick sad now. <laughs> Hey, Stefan, I think uh, we've covered a lot lot already in this episode. Um, I'm hoping that we gave our listeners a lot of ideas on, you know, how do you find that graph use case that is most valuable to your organization? Um, Lots of really, really good stuff there. We'll write it up. We'll blog, tweet, you know, post about it. And uh, I'm hoping to talk to you very soon again about uh, the next step in this uh, quest for graph value. Uh, and I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that very, very soon, which is, uh, you know, how do you actually build the case for these uh, uh, graph use cases? This so, is going to be awesome. Yeah, looking forward too. to that. Why don't we wrap up now and we'll be back soon. <laughs> See you later, you later, alligator. Bye. Bye.